And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in coronary intervention. And it feels like we have a celeb with us today. We do. I feel yeah. like it is. Yeah, someone that we've been following for quite a while, interacted with it a fair bit. Um, yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Go on. Thanks, guys. Um, this is Selva. Hi, everyone. Uh, the only reason I came on is because Neil keeps talking, uh, saying that that I am the nicest guy on Twitter, right? So what? I'm going to have to say something controversial to break that. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't say that on main. She I know, absolutely. Main, yeah, we can't have that. So <laughs> yeah, I challenge you for that title. Absolutely. Oh my god. <laughs> but I mean, look, I, I'm surprised you said Selva. I mean, I thought you were a DJ. What's your DJ name? Uh, <laughs> that, that's gonna that's gonna have to remain secret. Um, <laughs> no way! Oh. Okay, now it's uh, DJ Rajan. So that's my nickname, Rajan. Yeah, so nice. Yeah, so what tends to happen in Sri Lankan families is you always tend to get a nickname because mm. um, yeah. you know all of our names are long, as uh, the Risha can uh, uh, test to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so we tend to get a shortened version that has nothing to do with the actual original name. I think that happens so, in, in, yeah, in Bengali as well. Like I've had family, like family friends and uncles, who I thought their name is something, and it turns out their name has got nothing to do with that. Like someone I know is called, <laughs> we call him Shopon, and it turns out his name is Riaz the entire time. Shopon's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Imagine there's some uh, backstory to that. Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, my my nickname growing up was Emu or I- I- Imu, but it just became yeah. Emu after uh, a while. Yeah. Right. And then. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was quite nice. It was quite cute, and we had this um, Jamaican yeah. builder used to come round, and he was quite fun. He used to be like Emu man. <laughs> it was really cute the way he used to say it. I used to love having him around, but anyway, a uh, long time ago. Thusha, what's your t- nickname? It's not Thai, it's something else, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I don't... You don't I, have uh, one? I'm so unco- I mean, yeah, I'm so uncompromising. I mean, like, my <laughs> mum calls me Tharu. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. My mum calls me Tharu. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's pretty much it. I don't really have... I don't really have nicknames. Yeah, no. okay, fair enough. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, all, all my family call me Rajan, so if you, if you tell them Selva, they wouldn't know who I, who I am. So, oh, that's so But my wife calls me Selva. Oh, and, wow, okay. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, tell us yeah. a little bit about your origin story, Selva. I mean, it sounds like a fairly interesting beginnings to the, to the celebrity cult status that you are now. Uh, well, I wouldn't go quite that far. So, but, but you know, <laughs> um, so, so I'm, I'm from Sri Lanka, like uh, the Risha. I um, I was born there, came to the UK, age 13, uh, and it was an interesting journey to get here. So, um, so I came as a refugee because of the war there, and I often tweet about that. Uh, all the last two days, all my tweets are about refugee stories and and you know kind of the injustices that they're facing and everything else, because that's something that's really close to my heart. Uh, I experienced it personally, so uh, feel very strongly that I should speak up. Now I'm in a much more privileged position. So um, yeah, so that's my story. And then I, and I we got landed in East London. My dad moved here back in '84, so he's been here for a while. Uh, so he left um, um, because of the war. He was, he was young at the time, and then it was a very safe place for a young person. Uh, so as I was getting to my teenage years, it was getting a bit risky. So my parents decided to move uh, all of us to the uh, to the UK. Uh, so I got landed in East London, went to a comprehensive school. It was really funny. So we were in um, 
ESOL classes. I don't know if you know what ESOL is. It's, it's English as a second language classes. So it's for all, oh, the, all okay. these little refugee kids. So, you know, you got Selva from Sri Lanka and then you got Mohammed from Afghanistan. And then hmm. I still remember one guy, he's from Congo. His name is Uchitema Lokankoka. Right, wow. that's his name. Wow. I, just, I, I still remember it. You know, yeah. it's, it's nearly 30 years now. And then yeah, we all kind of none of us could speak English, so but we wondered. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, then um, then yeah, then then did my GCSEs and then then uh, went to med school uh, after mm-hmm. A level. So that's the kind of rest of history. Um, mm-hmm. And then around the age of 18, uh, started doing DJing. Did that all throughout <laughs> medical school uh, yeah, as legendary. a side income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously lots of interesting stuff about your background. I guess, like, most topically, I mean, refugees, obviously, it's something very important. It's something that's kind of circulating in the news, right? Mm. When you... What what do you think was the response to you as a refugee in East London back then? And do you think it's kind of... I mean, looking th- through the, with the lens of experience now... Uh, I guess some of the stuff, I mean, what we see is on social media, I guess. But how do, do you think the response has changed? Do you think it's worse now? Or is it this, you know... Wh- how do you, how were you regarded back then? I mean, I don't know if it's worse now. I mean, the thing about East London is it's, it's, it's always been multicultural. So the school I went yeah. to, white people were the minority. So, so my, you know, there weren't that many white kids in my class. And we're all good mates. It's multicultural. You had Pakistanis, you got Bengalis and Sri Lankans, Indians, and then white working class uh, population. So, so it was <clears throat> it was very mixed, and we, we just had a banter that race didn't really come into it at that time uh, mm-hmm. but you know I read about all these horror stories about people getting called all the p-words I, I tweeted about that a month ago I got called that called the n-word interestingly mm-hmm. um, I have been mistaken for some from the Caribbean or Eritrea or Ethiopia at times mm-hmm. um, and then uh, there was this Indian lady who came and stood next to me and I was thinking why is she standing next to me in the train and and then this this white guy who was a bit drunk and started calling her names, calling me names, and then acted quite intimidatingly. And and <clears throat> before we could do anything, what even start recording it, he just he's got off the train. So it was a, it was a experience I haven't had for a long time. So I remember, because mm. um, for my A-level, I went to a grammar school in a more predominantly white area. Mm. And there, definitely getting off the bus, got called the P word. Uh, there was, was a lot of that. Um, but much less where I actually grew up because it's multicultural mm. and uh, sort of been in East London bubble since then. So it's it's uh, I haven't faced racism as much as others would have if they've lived in a in a, in a different sort of area. I mean, I guess um, obviously attitudes are always changing. Um, but then, I mean, because we're on social media a lot, we do see probably the slightly more extreme. Uh, extreme opinions of some people and I think um, obviously uh, um, migrants I don't really like using the word migrants I just find that when they use the word migrants are almost um, put, when you put a collective term on people yeah when you put a collective yeah. term on people it dehumanizes them and you don't really understand that you know um, these are human beings right and so um, there's been quite a lot of negative um, sentiment towards them and I think there was one particular tweet that I found very very uh, disturbing actually yeah. Um, from a quite a big account, I think we all we all saw that, wasn't it? About the um, the lifeguard was it lifeguards? Oh, yeah. Is this, this is the tweet by David Atherton. That's is it? right. Yeah, David Atherton. Yeah, did we? That's right. kind of, yeah. He looks like he looks like a bloody mole, doesn't he? Like from the, the animals. Of, what's, what's it called? Father, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it was a farthing wood, like with his glasses on and this kind of overgrown mullet. Jesus mm. Christ. Behold, the master race. Mm. Um, but anyway, he kind of, um, his tweet goes along the lines of, so he gets this flyer through the door for the RNLI. Mm. Uh, so that's the, right. Well, National Lifeboat. Life Force Institute, yeah. Mm. Institute, that's it. And he goes, as the RNLI seemed to be actively involved in trafficking illegal migrants from across the channel, a begging letter was treated appropriately. And so in this guy's kind of impotent rage, he's written it down on the fly. Like, oh, I hope they see her at RNLI. Like, good one. Mm. Um, I mean, what a loser. Yeah, I mean, he's, well, I mean, there's some sort of donation thing that popped through his door, Blaze, basically, and he's written, no effing chance. Uh, you're breaking the law by assisting illegal immigrants in the English Channel underlined and tweeted it and um you know this is what i mean like um they've they've labeled people uh migrants uh immigrants and um now all of a sudden you know you can't treat them as human beings and you just feel like um it's such a shame when you see this kind of stuff happen all the time and i've often felt like this about whenever we talk about people who are not who are not from around here as it were you know they'll talk about Um, you know, like we get dehumanized being called the P word, right? And, P, you know, black people have been dehumanized by calling the Ed word. And this is just another situation. I mean, yeah. And the, the thing is that when you actually look at some of the replies, it's so heartbreaking to see that there are similar um, opinions. So this is just an echo of an opinion that is quite common. I mean, I guess social media is hopefully a bit of an extreme version of what we're seeing. But um, the fact that anyone could even say this or type this or write this or feel this feels just unbelievable to me there's a nice reply that says it's not those coming from france that affect your life it's those coming from eton mm. but that's the game that's isn't spot it? on yeah i mean that's the game i mean you, you, they keep you distracted by um pointing over there while they're doing whatever they're doing right mm. um, absolutely absolutely you know. i mean one of, one of the really really heartwarming things about this um so i um retweeted that with saying can we all donate to RNLI hmm. who do an amazing job of saving human beings in distress in our waters and that's actually great gained lots of traction I've had lots of comments people saying done direct debit created donated hmm. money uh, and you know just just uh, complete opposite to what this guy was saying so hmm. yeah I, I think I, absolutely so it's, it's that we we do need to give the other side of this as well, there's so many British people who are anti-racist, welcome refugees, and are inclusive and, and believe in diversity. Uh, mm. So, so it's, it's very easy to get swept away and there's all these negative messages. Yeah. But sadly, the the government seems to be per- perpetuating a lot of that as well. So I guess it, it, it win votes and they've managed to win Brexit that way. Yeah, it's 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 amazing that um, this is uh, this is even a thing, you know. And um, I just think that uh, I mean, look, I think we, I think we should probably put a link on this um, on this podcast so that if anyone is listening, you know, maybe just have a look down, click on that link, and donate um, donate and um, help help them do what is actually a really worthy cause. And I mean, they're not they're not thinking about where these people are from or any of those things. They're seeing human beings that are crossing the channel trying to get come to a better life or what they think is going to be a better life. Um, and but and that's the thing, like you know, it it must take a lot for someone to uh, put their family and themselves in danger, right? Like when you see those dinghies full of people, they're not safe little things. I mean, how many of us would be willing to put your kids, uh, you know, on on a dinghy like that? There must Imagine be something running for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, desperate. I think Theresha, we I, I was doing a, a lecture the other day, and then I think someone shared a video of um, I think some of the Afghani people, and they were. Um, putting their kids forwards, you know, uh, you know, separating from their yeah. kids, 
And I was about to go on in the next 10 minutes and I, saw, I got sent this video and I was watching it and I, I literally felt like my heart was breaking because I, I put myself in that situation. I thought, would I would I be able to do it? Would I be able to say to my little daughter, let's call her Nemo, um, you know, I'm gonna probably, I might not see you ever again, but this is gonna be the safest thing for you. I mean, how many of us could really do that? And when you can't empathize, when you can't even put yourself in that situation, I just call them migrants. Uh, there's something wrong with people. Uh, I don't know. They're watching a movie. Uh, they're Absolutely. watching the Netflix generation or something that um, only sees black and white, good and bad, evil versus them. I mean, it, it's not that simple, you know. Uh, absolutely you know just you know i've had personal experience of this uh, mm. my pin pin tweet if you have a look at that that kind of talks about what happened to me when i was five and a half it's it's uh, still there these kind of traumas don't leave you mm. and and the the extraordinary things that your parents do that you do because you're in danger is 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 unless you've lived through it it's very 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 hard to understand mm. and that's where a lot of the ignorance comes from uh, because Britain, if you look at it as a country, it's never been conquered by anybody. So most British people have never had a need to be a refugee, uh, yeah. to, to, to be to, to be homeless. And if anything, uh, they've invaded lots of countries and made other people. Uh, uh, so yeah. yeah. So I, I think uh, we need to be a bit more compassionate. It's it's it's, it's a bit ridiculous um, when you got. That guy's comment when when you've had 27 people die, including women, a pregnant one of them is a pregnant woman, and and, and children have died. Mm. To say these things is bloody ridiculous. Um, they, they they make it so simple when they talk about it in these papers and stuff. They're, and then they won't even. The thing is, like they don't look at the reason as to why someone will want to come over, right? For them, it feels like oh, they're coming to I don't know the land of Oz or something like. This is where they, everyone wants to be, but they're not thinking about like, okay, what's happened in the background? What why why are people wanting to come across? Where are they coming from? What's what's the situation there? And who created that situation? How did that situation come about? Uh, it's just complete sort of um, ignoring of it and just kind of pretending that you're living in some sort of uh, amazing palace that people want to yeah. come to. I mean, they don't exactly come to a great existence and they probably know that on some level that they're not exactly going to walk into some mansion, right? They're not going to end up having some Mercedes and, or the, and a Bentley hang away, hang out for them outside. They're going to come into a, a hard life. Absolutely. But it's, Absolutely. at least they're alive. I mean, that's the point, right? At least they've got a chance, a small chance. It's worth it. I mean, for them, yeah. it's worth it. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would hope that none of our listeners will um, share the sentiments of this person, um, you know, and hopefully we would like, to, you know, if possible for you guys do to click on click on that link and um, to do try and donate um, to try and help uh, try and help these people who are having um, such a difficult, such a difficult time. Um, anyway, it's quite a hard um, subject to really move on, uh, but I thought it might be good <laughs> yeah. to speak on, speak to yourself, Silver, because you've got such personal experience, and I think you know we've got another uh, med Twitter person, um, Farbod, as well, who is also uh, a refugee, Absolutely. and he speaks quite yeah. a, a lot about it, and it can be quite insightful into what it is like um, to be in that situation. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess apart from that, I mean, um, I guess we should sort of move on from from that particular topic and um, talk about some of the other sort of more med twittery things that have been going on. Um, there was something that kind of was quite humorous, I thought, actually. There was a tweet about um, someone who came across from Spain, was it? And um, they were pretending to be a doctor. Do you remember this one? So this is a story of a fake nurse 
who I mean it's a Times article so I can't read it all um, <laughs> but um, basically this person um, made a fake diploma to work as a nurse in Madrid and did mm. that from 2009 to 2011 and then I think arrived in the UK and then forged a medical degree certificate from the University of Madrid. I think Rohin actually tweeted this as well because mm. he said that somehow like the UEA were like involved as well. In fact, I copied his tweet because he um, he screenshotted it. Mm. But this person just went from like, just seemed, to, the lies seemed to get bigger and bigger mm. um, and more and more outlandish. Um, amazing, I mean, isn't it? That they got away with it for so long. Like <laughs> imagine that, co- that confidence. It's a bit of a catch me if you can situation, isn't it? Like uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio film from back in the day where someone mm. just turns up. And, I mean, I think he actually pretended to be a doctor in the middle of that he film. Did. From what he I did, did absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was it. That was pretty much it. But, you know, I was fine. This so relates to another story that came out so long ago where the New Zealand, um, uh, she used to be a medical student, didn't quite finish it, and then turned up to the UK, managed to get themselves to be a doctor and got all the way to, like, um, become a psych- psychi- psychiatrist. And then only got caught at the end because they tried to do something dodgy, like trying to change some some patient's will to give them like some money or something. And then they went during the investigation. It turned out she wasn't a doctor like ever. And right. um, that's the thing. Like I find it so fascinating that that kind of thing can happen because um, I mean we've all been in that situation, haven't we? When we've been working and you think how did that person even go to med school they don't they don't seem like they've gone to med school and you wonder like how much of this you can really pick up and how much you can really just get away with i mean but isn't it isn't it so funny though because there are loads of f1s loads of like junior doctors out there who have hardcore like imposter syndrome yeah but then they're a literal imposter and they must be so confident to like just pull that off oh my gosh yeah I mean, when, when you think about it how long does it take you to get a contract i've worked jobs where i haven't actually had a contract by the time i finish that rotation so <laughs> So you. you're looking at, um, so by the time they've done all their checks, you're on to your next rotation. And yeah. um, and to be honest, uh, I, I still remember it as a, back in 2004 when I first qualified, I hadn't done a blood gas um, till I actually became a house officer. <laughs> yeah, I'm right to that, yeah. Absolutely. And, and then um, I was in a, doing an orthopedic health job. A patient was crashing and, and um, was looking unwell. Uh, Asked my registrar, he said, Why are you asking me for? Go and ask the medical registrar. And he said, Have you done a blood gas? I was thinking, Oh my God, what's that? <laughs> so <laughs> so, so I, I called my mate who was doing um, a medical house job. He came in a beam if you're listening yeah he he um, uh, helped me out <laughs> so uh, that's how you do it and he, he, also happened to, he also happened to do it because he was doing a medical job mm. and uh, so it's, it's so you learn how to kind of do the, a lot of the job as a house officer yeah, on the job, right? And so someone job, so, is literally so walked across the street. <laughs> but this so is the thing, it. right? Like, um, yeah. I think not so long ago, there was these celebrities. I think she used to be in Desperate Housewives and she got done because she um, paid some people to try and help their daughter get into one of the big Ivy League medical, uh, not medical, uh, Ivy League um, universities. And had that background not been caught, that kid was still getting through. They were still getting in and they were still cattering on. And so it makes you wonder, like, all these barriers that you have to get into, I don't know, Cambridge, Oxford, all that kind of thing. You do wonder, like, how much do you really need to... So what happened? 
Oh. What did she do to get them into? Oh, the so um, there, there was some consultancy. There was some weird um, sort of underground consultancy where they were faking up parts of their CV, like taking photos and putting their pictures onto like rowing teams and making themselves oh out to be rowers. <laughs> did you not know wow. about this, Lucia? Yeah, yeah. No, it was no, a really no. big thing. A lot of um, there were quite a few um, celebrities who got done in that entire right. thing. Yeah. And um, but it just makes you wonder, like, if you take away all of that stuff, all of that sort of, you know, let, that's like an unfair advantage to the next level unfair advantage, where someone mm-hmm. literally paid you you to get your way in, but they were still in, and they would never have been flagged. Like no one would have said to them, "Oh, they don't belong here," because they, as far as they were concerned, they were getting through. It. And as far as I understand, they never actually got rid of those students because it, I guess it wasn't their fault that that had happened; it was their parents' fault. And so they're still there. Right. They're still getting yeah. that degree. They're still getting going through. And so obviously it's not worth it because the parents no. want to pull through all sorts of stuff. But um, it does make you wonder these barriers of entry, like how mm. how official or unofficial are they? How much, how do, much they really do they matter? mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, mean, yeah. I think there was a famous study, wasn't there? But like this Harvard professor in like the 60s or 70s who devised this kind of um, test, which was supposed to kind of highlight really like prodigious geniuses at school, like mm. at a really early age. And then it identified these members um, the, uh, of this class and then lo and behold those kids did amazing um, mm. uh, like after years and then the professor came out and said oh there's you know there's nothing special about the test it was yeah. just you know picked at random and mm. it just turned out that people were treating them like they were geniuses wow. and treating them like they were special and then mm. they did lo and behold do well because that's what they needed they just needed someone to like support them and like, mm. isn't that like a, isn't that a moral for life yeah, I mean, I'm actually reading a book. If anyone, maybe someone's read it out there, but I'm reading it, and it's called The Millionaire Fast Lane. It's standard me reading stuff like this, but it had some really interesting <laughs> topics in there. And one of the things was talking about, you know, how all of us have probably done French, German, you know, whatever physics. But how much do you of it do you really remember? And then, yeah. you know, there'll be other, you know, we'll go we'll go through uni, we'll do our uni job, uni stuff. And you know, let's say let's say the people who go to get, get a job in the city, so those those people will get jobs in the city based on their degree. But we all know that you can pretty much cram i mean there there were people there who cram who get that mm. first or you know set two one and then those don't necessarily mean they're good workers because they're cramming at the last minute or you know they're doing whatever mm. they're having a great time so actually the kind of worker you want is not someone who goes and gets a first you want someone who's consistently delivered good work over long periods of time because that makes a good worker not someone who's come in and cr- came in and crammed a whole lot of information they're never going to use again uh, and then go and get a good degree. So uh, the way we actually look at things is actually probably not the best way to, to you know, give people opportunities in life. And, you know, th- this sort of, um, I mean, there's a real crossroads, isn't it? Like if you don't get the A-levels, it completely changes your life, right? Based on the society that we have. Yeah. And in some ways, we do live in a good in a good place now that, you know, there is a lot of education that is available. And when we say education, it means that, you can go and learn things on your own if you wanted to. Like you can go to library, you can watch videos, you can go to YouTube, you can pick up online courses and learn things, and still, you know, you know, do to a high high level of work. It's possible. Yeah, and no, I mean, we know that like during lockdown and stuff, that was really difficult for some poor families, right? Mm. Who didn't have a computer or steady access to the internet, or they didn't have a smartphone to use. Also, like, I guess if your provisions for like food, if you're hungry, then it's going to be really hard for you to study. Um, or if you're doing like extra jobs and whatever, or have like, if you're a carer, then I mean, there are all kinds of barriers. The reason why I mentioned this is because mm. we, we had some feedback, didn't we? I just kind of wonder if we should perhaps yeah, I mean, should we do that? I mean, do you want to talk about us feedback? Yeah. I mean, Selva, you could help us here because... Um... Yeah, so this was an Apple and it was by someone, Riff2008. Mm. Okay. Uh, so it said, good, fun and entertaining, four stars. 
Uh, the presenters are nice guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. You yeah. give Thank a lot you. of personal insight. I enjoy it. Interestingly, a tweet about lack of working class in medicine. Both presenters privately educated say, mm. not from privileged background, but parents worked hard, etc. Can't help it. I went to the private school. People seem fixated on it, but it's not my fault. That's not verbatim, by the way. Uh, then I the think other I did guy. Say that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The other guy. I think that's me. He was like, yeah, reading between the lines. It's a white working class. Which I thought it was, but anyway. Hmm. Um, then moved back to talking about race. And he goes, he or she, only 6% of the UK goes to private school. 61% of medics are privately educated. And on the rise. Yeah. Hmm. think it would be cool to get some people to discuss that instead of not addressing it. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, one of the things that we found, and I, I, I maintained this uh, from episode one, is that Thrusha described us as medical bozos. Uh, and it's true, we're, we're bozos. Um, but I'm, I'm often... Um, <laughs> I do, I do like it when people ask us to discuss certain things because it means that, okay, fine. I mean, if we're talking about it, maybe it helps someone uh, and, and stuff. So I, I do appreciate that feedback. I think we both do. I mean, yeah. joking aside, we do appreciate that feedback. And um, we have said that, I mean, we're, we're quite open about it. Yeah, we, do, we both went to private school and there are certain things that we will, we will not understand. Um, mm. And I think in that conversation, I think I was talking about my own experiences of being someone that went to private school and how sometimes I do feel a little, I feel bad about it, but then, you know, it, it was it was a gift I, I, I don't know what you, whether you want to call it a gift or whatever but it was it was a life that I had it's not something that I um it was just life I had I mean I can't there's nothing else I can say or do about it but um I understand that there's a whole we've said this before that medicine is elitist and we know that and I didn't know this this statistic that six percent of people go to private schools and 61 percent of people are coming into medicine which again shows you how elitist medicine really is and we do need to do something about it um, and Silva, I mean, you were saying that you, you yourself, I mean, you didn't, you didn't go to private school or anything like that. No, right? no. So, yeah. so kind of that statistics really interesting. So, is, um, right? the, the, uh, the last time I looked at it, they said about seven percent of all kids went to private school, but mm. it goes up slightly for A level. So, what tends to happen is the parents kind of tend to push the kids towards A level. But yeah. when you get into medical school, about 80% of the entrants are from professional backgrounds. Now, they might have gone to grammar schools. What you got to remember is, I think people you need to put grammar schools with the private schools uh, in the same category because they're, mm. they're essentially, they're free at the point of education, but they are, they're extracting this, uh, you know, a, a middle-class parent is going to coach, I'm going through this at the moment with my 11-year-old, um, mm. you know, we're coaching him to the maximum, spending loads of money on, 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 on the tuitions so he can pass the grammar school exams. Mm. So that means... We, you know, we probably don't have to send our kids to a private school if, if we can get through. So it's, it's the same class of parents who would send their kids to private school if they happen to pass the grammar school exam, they'll send it there. Mm -hmm. So so I think, yeah, let's put both of them in the same category. Uh, so it is elitist. I mean, that's that's the same thing with any other professional industry where you can look at dentistry, you look at law, you look at finance, city. Uh, there are a few high paying jobs where a working class person can just have the opportunity and that's that's a system-wide issue that's a, that's a structural institutional issue that we all need to sort out uh, there are these widening participation schemes and so on mm. I'm, so if you look at the university I, I uh, have links with Queen Mary's and that's actually been voted as having the top social mobility of all the universities in the UK so mm. there's an article Guardian article about that so uh, retweeted it and 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 you certainly see that kids from much wider backgrounds coming through Queen Mary's. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Um, 
I mean, there's a running joke uh, amongst medics about, you know, it's, it's, it's in terms of they, they think that they take kids who have lower A-level uh, results, but I, I don't oh. see that at all, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I think they're just as competitive as all the other schools. Um, yeah. uh, they just That's tend a snobby to draw thing from, to think, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's a very elitist thing to think. And, and uh, mm-hmm. they tend to draw mostly from East London as well, so loads of the kids... Uh, okay. Uh, medicals and I teach are from Tower Hamlets, Newham, uh, where mm. I grew up. Um, and some of the schools there are doing amazingly. So there's a school called Brampton Manor in Newham. They turned it around. Last year, they sent 55 kids to Oxbridge. So they had 300, 300 kids. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It can be done. And it's yeah, such a shame absolutely. that not more is being done. Because uh, I've often felt this, that the, um, the biggest travesty we have is that not everyone's given the same opportunities. But then also we live in we live in a system that doesn't enable that to happen. No. Um, you know, and that's uh, and, and that's what my parents felt. And so that's why, you know, I've said this before. I did actually go to, well, let's say, quotation mark, normal school for a while. And then I think they got really stressed out because I wasn't doing very well. And then my my dad kind of just threw, I mean, essentially threw money at the problem. And, and it, it kind of worked, I think. Um, but he recognized that there was going to be an advantage that he felt was going to be there. And I think we all know that there is an advantage. And I, I wish there wasn't. I do. But we don't, live in that, we don't live in that world, unfortunately, right? And that's absolutely. why. Of course, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. that feedback made me kind of go off on one, looking at different articles and stuff about you know, why is social diversity so poor within medicine? And there's Mm. so many different factors, aren't there? Like one, I mean, these kind of problems, the the ideas in a child's mind starts from when they're very small. So they're saying Mm. that kind of in children as young as seven years old, they base their career aspirations on people they know, right? Mm. There's a famous quote, isn't it? You can't be what you don't see. Mm. And so if you don't have those role models there, and often like if you are, if you said, so there's this other, um, there's other article that are surveying kind of uh, young people and asking them about, their career aspirations a lot of them associate medicine with posh careers mm. um they you know they think it's a kind of posh pet a job for posh people and i guess maybe that's because of the way some of us talk um yeah and then i guess that's even before you kind of factor in the fact that medical school is longer and there's obviously like financial implications for that mm. uh, just thinking about the text i remember like the first week of medical school you can remember all the textbooks you had to buy uh, back yeah. then anyway yeah um and just uh there's just there's so many different factors right they're more likely to be carers they're more likely to have like conflicting interests um so i can see why there's just so many different kind of reasons uh, absolutely um i mean yeah funny story about the, the the medical school so um i don't know if you know so you can get this you can get the same books um that you have here in india for a much cheaper price so what the, what mm. all these uh, publishers do is they tend to print them for the indian students at a much cheaper rate so I had friends and family there, so I would get those books from India <laughs> because yeah, I, I, I simply couldn't afford. So you know, I yeah, so yeah. we uh, I came from a family who were on benefits, um, and my 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 dad uh, sadly passed away a week before I started medical school. So uh, so money money was very tight for us. So I, I I couldn't just go out and buy loads of books. Um, mm. Even stayed in accommodation for the first year. Then expenses so we moved back home and just traveling uh, every day um mm. and so so i mean th- th- these kind of things put you at a much bigger disadvantage uh so you know th- th- there's that tweet about cliques uh, and so you, you kind of miss out on those cliques because if you're mm. tra- living at home and you haven't got a lot of money to hang around and do these things um mm. sp- but luckily i had a grant and i had free university education and now with the student loans and everything else, I think it puts off a lot of kids from doing degrees that are longer. 
Mm. Medicine is one of the things that's you know, it's, it's six years now, isn't it? It's a big commitment, isn't it? It is Absolutely. a big commitment. And um, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned cliques, right? I mean, Shivani um, uh, talked about cliques this week. Um, she was talking about, I mean, so it was a quote tweet. Um, and she said, I keep tweeting about work tweets, so let me own up. I've been, I'm in a work tweet and I've fallen outside of the same work uh, clique. Here's what I'd like to share. Inside my work clique, at first, it seemed safe, fun, and most importantly, there were perks because a person with power was a member. Mm-hmm. I always had company throughout my work, first dibs of career opportunities, or even just evading the dud work. Interesting. It was fantastic at first. Several things happened that made me separate myself from that work clique. Outside, it was lonely. I ate lunch alone. I had coffee alone. There were no after-work socials, but it was worse because I knew what I was missing out on. All those missed career opportunities. Mm. Uh, but I also realised how everyone must have felt outside the clique when I was in it. I was perturbed by my actions that must have caused people to feel isolated like I did now. Um, and here's the thing, once I was out, it took some time, but new people started to talk to me who had not really engaged with me. I made new friends, developed a new way to work, made my own decisions about worrying about, uh, without worrying about how it affected people in my old clique. I blossomed. Well, that's a nice little ending. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, uh, um, I mean, we've been talking about cliques, uh, you know, as you kind of get into medical school, but cliques exist after you get out of medical medical school. They certainly exist when you're a consultant. I, I, I th- well, after I read Shivani's clique, I thought, yeah, I guess I'm in a bit of a clique. But um, I got three or four guys that I used to, you know, they were all the same year uh, when we were training in in radiology. So. Um, I've actually made my job plan so that I, it does coincide with them. So when they're in, I'm in. We all grab coffees and lunches together. It's really nice. Um, but I guess it's not until she mentioned clique that I thought, oh yeah, I guess I guess I must be. Uh, is this a bad thing or a good thing? And um, I guess from me personally, it's been good. It's yeah. been really good. You know, I, I find it very, very good in terms of I've got a bunch of people that I can trust well, yeah, pretty much 100% and ask them honest mm-hmm. questions about what, the way things work, what I should be thinking, what I should be doing, bounce ideas. Mm-hmm. So do you have that kind of thing? I, I thought GP would be quite a lonely place. Do you, ha- do you have any friends? <laughs> uh, do you have any friends? Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's, it's just, uh, no, it's just my, me and my Twitter friends, actually. <laughs> That's why I'm here. So, yeah. I mean, it's... Um, I thought about this actually. It, it's um, I can certainly see when you have cliques, especially cliques who are actually in a position of power, and that can be quite excluding. Whereas, but it can be quite empowering if you're, say, a bunch of um, junior doctors cliquing together. So because you're sharing the, those long nights together, you, you, you're sharing a long day together. So just having that banter, having that uh, just just sharing your hard day, say, or just you know, medics have. You know, such a such a twisted sense of humor um, mm. we, we all uh, that we don't actually share outside of our circles <laughs> yeah. um, so I think you need people that you can trust for those kind of things that you need those cliques but I certainly get where Shivani is coming from because if you are in a position of power and then you're you're kind of banding together and not letting other people get into that circle that stops progress mm. uh, and uh, and often you can see that and that, that's where kind of the structural racism institutional racism comes from mm. uh, if, if especially if you have a bunch of kind of really privileged white consultants just banding together and excluding the say for example IMG doctors for example mm. that can be really really or, or just you're going out for drinks uh, when somebody doesn't drink and you're excluding mm. them that that those tweets have come up quite a lot actually I've, I've, I've seen those kind of excluding people who don't drink people who don't socialize outside of work so I think cliques are quite powerful. That they are, uh, 
really beneficial. Mm. Uh, but we all need to be mindful when we belong to one that we're not excluding other people. It's true. I think because people are more likely to get, as, as like Shivani was saying, like exposed to opportunities, but also like benefit of the doubt and stuff if things go wrong. Like, oh, I know mm. that person, you know, like uh, we hang yeah. out, you know, our children play together. Mm. But it was interesting. I mean, there are lots of cliques and uh, Rohan, he tweeted um, on uh, the 20th of November and he tweeted about a trust I mean, it says the trust is Hull University Teaching Hospital. But I thought it was particularly funny because it's within cardiology. Because obviously, you know, there's subspecialties, right? And yeah. it's intervention versus the rest of the department. And Ooh, we beef. like it's, it, it is quite common like to know that the, inter, the interventional guys or whatever, the interventional people are thought to be like the, the more kind of like surgical ones or whatever. And then the kind of EP ones and the heart failure ones are a bit more kind of like nerdy. But this, I mean, that trust in particular sounded completely dysfunctional and that they're just like the interventionist like bullies and whatever and I remember hearing like one interventional consultant being like the interventional cardiologist is the apex predator in the hospital and I remember when he said that to me I was like oh my god like I have to share an office with these guys like what the hell but um yeah it's, it's, it's um I mean I still can't understand how you've got four, a single organ with four chambers and you can have so many specialists you know left atrium right atrial specialist <laughs> it's all, it's all <laughs> and, very important uh, you know, uh, talking about cliques the worst clique I've been in is, is or I have not been part of is you go outside for the school pickup and all the mums are just sitting standing together and you're the, <laughs> you're the only dad there dad, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can never yeah. go into that circle at all. Yeah. there's a conversation that goes way over your head yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But I mean, speaking of speaking of cliques, like I, I find that even I mean, when you when you work in a place that's got like a training scheme, that there's the bigger clique of consultant versus trainee. That happens. Have you noticed? Yeah. Like, um, you know, they've been oh, the consultants are doing this. Oh, the regs are doing this. Well, why they're not doing their bit? Oh, these got a lot are so lazy, and it, it kind of continues. Uh, it kind of brings us on to a, a tweet by Clarissa Explains It All. And she did this tweet, go, why is it always some locum consultant at 150 plus an hour? Well, I don't know what, what kind of, that's good, man. Anyway, who huffs and puffs and laughs about how if you really cared about ending poverty and inequality, you'd donate your salary at the F1 on £12.45 an hour buried under the mountain of tuition fee debt. Mm. Um Oh, Thrusha, you've you've replied here as well. Yeah, it's true. To them, you're either a hypocrite or you're jealous. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just shows show, shows someone that's not uh, like a senior, or I mean, it sounds like this particular person not very um, not showing very much empathy towards their juniors, especially when it comes to the idea of how much they're getting paid, because we do know that junior doctors, yeah, monetary wise, they don't do all that yeah. well, you know, mm. compar- comparatively, right? Yeah, I mean, there's that kind of meme, isn't there, where there's this guy who says. There's someone who's saying, oh, so you're complaining about society, yet you live in society. <laughs> like, as if it's like a really like, clever culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's a stupid thing to say. It's just I, I think, you know, someone who, who is making that kind of money, I mean, first of all, that's pretty good. Uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> and they're also True. like the, and the thing is like, they've probably done it for so long that they've forgotten what it's like to, mm. you know, like I, I, I think Absolutely. I've joked about this before. Like, you know, I was working with a consultant radiologist and then there were, they, I think they were talking about cars one day and then I had a Nissan Leaf that I bought for like 5k and I was pretty happy with it and then he was like oh you know we're talking about cars and I said to him oh you know one day I'd like to get a Tesla and he goes oh don't get a Tesla you've got to get this BMW like 7 series you know and I was like yeah okay mate I mean I was saying I was dreaming he goes no and he looked at me and goes why don't you just get it and I was like what mm-hmm. do you mean why don't I just get it and he goes just mm. go get it what's the problem what's the issue and I thought 
money, man. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but he'd, he'd, he's obviously, I mean, he was a really big shot guy. And so he'd, he'd lived this life for so long now that he's forgotten what it's like to have anything less than just being able to walk into a dealership and buy whatever car right. you want from the sounds of things. Amazing. He was a cool guy otherwise, I've got to say. He was, he was actually quite nice. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Occasionally he'd let it slip. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I think you kind of, you forget what it was like um, when you're a junior doctor. And, and especially nowadays, it's, uh, it's a lot harder. You're coming up with a debt. Um, I know some people like to call it a graduate tax, but it's, it's, it's a debt nevertheless. Um, mm. And you've got to pay that off. Mm. And then uh, you got to, some of you might want to start a family. You want to buy a house, all that kind of stuff. That's That's... So, so difficult especially if you live in areas like London I, mm. I know and then someone's going to tell me oh um, you're just a London problem why don't you just move to the northeast somewhere <laughs> in, a, in a village uh, next to a creek <laughs> so, well, what's up against creeks yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Put, put up a tent and you know hunt uh, so you'll save loads of money so you know th- really those kind of comments aren't helpful because it's a uh, you, sh- you would think that's what the public thinks on a doctor's area all doctors are earning mega bucks and they can afford to have a grander lifestyle and that's not true when you're a junior doctor even when you reach a kind of senior level if you're going to just do 40 hours a week you're not going to have a, a, a lifestyle maybe the, the consultants had about or the GPs had about 20 years ago it's, it's that's gone you got hmm. you got to work 60 70 hours if, if you want to if you want to have the same kind of lifestyle yeah now it's, of course it's your choice um, to do that but it's it's nevertheless to kind of compare just because you're earning more uh, you've forgotten what it was like mm. so yeah to lose that empathy I mean I, I agree I mean I'm, I'm a consultant and um, I tell I tell anyone out there and I think a lot of consultants will believe uh, will, will go with what I say here is that um, <clears throat> if you did nothing else but be a consultant then you know your income's not actually that high considering everything that you've done so yeah you, you might have to get creative you might need to go into the private sector you might need to do extra lists and all that kind of thing and that does significantly bump up your earnings um but you'd like to think you'd like to think that people remember where they come from um you know uh, and i guess the main thing is you still uh, you know monetary wise i mean forget about the money I, i hopefully you still enjoy it on some level but there was one particular tweet that came up that i thought was quite fun and uh, i was well, from a good uh, from a colleague from back in the day i don't even remember but we did have chicken burgers together uh, mr simon lammy uh, who yeah, is now a neurosurgical spr i says i'm a neurosurgical spr in glasgow i absolutely love my job some people drag themselves to go to work while i run in doing backflips as i go am yeah. i and ps i'm post on call sleep deprived euphoria uh, yeah okay um So, uh, I don't know. I mean, do you guys um, backflip into work? Do you really like it that much? I mean, I've been guilty of saying some crazy shit when I've come out, when I finished a long call. So maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's like what that, this is. Yeah, yeah that post-night euphoria where you're just happy to be walking out the hospital. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. Like, I, I remember once, so after doing a set of four nights, thinking, all right, I'm going to the gym. I've got three days off. I went to the gym. Uh, I did, I remember I did tricep pull-downs. I thought, I'll do some sit-ups, and I fell asleep on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's yeah. such an interesting question. I, 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 don't, I don't know... Um, if you're going to agree with the answer I'm going to give you because I, I love my job um, <gasps> I don't believe I, it I don't believe I, it I, it's, 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 I tell you when I was in hospital medicine I really didn't like it I, mm. I, I wasn't looking forward to it at all um, but the day I kind of came to general practice um, it's, it's, I find my home I, I think there's a speciality for all of us in medicine and sometimes you find that and and then you start enjoying it but 
it's it's uh, I, I can understand why it's not like that for everyone everyone it's uh, I work on a simple principle which is if you're not looking forward to your day when you get up in the morning then you're doing the wrong thing for yourself uh, so think about what you can change and as medics we're probably much more fortunate than everyone else to change our life um, you know, if you don't like it, go and work in the private sector or leave the country. So, you know, so there's, there's, there's uh, lots of things that you could do, actually, to uh, change. Yeah, I guess, I yes and no. I just find that, like, I, I like my job. Of course I do. You know, I do mm. a lot of it, um, you know, partly for monetary reasons. But um, I, if someone said to me that, listen, Imran, you do not need to do this anymore at all. Mm. You know, mm. you, you, you've, made, you've made millions and millions and millions and mm. millions then I just can't seem, I mean, I might do like a, the odd scan. I might even just still turn up to work for half a day just to take the mick a bit and we roll around and do jack all. But I just don't really see myself doing, I mean, I'll do other things. I think I'd probably go to chef school, just try it out, go to art school, try that out. I'd do all sorts of stuff that, you know, life life hasn't quite, you know, it doesn't really, you can't do because you're busy. You've got Absolutely, kids, yeah. you've got a family, you've got a mortgage to pay. Those are the yeah. things that I find that, um, you know, when someone says to me that, oh, yeah, I really do leap into work every single day. It's like, do you really, though? Like, I mean, when you were a kid, did you really think that this was it? This is as good as it gets. This is where you want to be. I don't know. I'm cynical, maybe. Uh, I mean, I've got it good. I'm not complaining by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But I'm just saying that I can think of a lot of things I'd rather be doing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. When I say I love it. So if you told me you've won the lottery, um, I'm, I might revisit that perspective of my job. Um, but I do have my standards about the lottery. Um, so yeah. I, I'll only play if it goes above 100 million because um, I've got, I got big family, lots of friends. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is share some out and still be rich. Yeah, so, you need to have a lifestyle better than what you have now, right? And so that's absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, did you see though, like, the, so did we talk about this tweet from Layla where she was saying like as an F1, she had to call payroll and explain why I couldn't wait I for the haven't. next month. Yeah, I want yeah, to so talk she, about this one. This is brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. She, because like sometimes that's happened to me. They're like, oh, well, sorry, you're going to get paid next month. And it's like, but but but, but my mortgage is, is coming out this What about this month? Like, I'm yeah. still, how do, how do I eat this? I want to eat to eat this month. I Absolutely. need to have a house this month. And mm. so I, I just love it because uh, she goes, I just said, you need to pay me because you owe me. I don't need to make a business case to receive my salary. Um, <laughs> so that tweet's available from the 25th of November. I mean, that, it was funny because they were like, okay, uh, yeah, we forgot to pay you, but why should we pay you now? Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because it's my yeah. money. Like, yeah, why yeah, would, what do you mean? Like, why do I need to even explain this? It's, mm. it's, that is, I mean, that's happened to me once. And actually, they were really nice. They, for some reason, after I finished ST1, which may be a premonition of future events, um, I, I got deleted or something. Oh, like, all of a sudden, there was like, you know, I got this P45 in the post. It, it, like, my, my time had been over. And I went and spoke, spoke to the TPD. I was like, what else had happened? And they're like, oh, clearly a mistake. And, you know, yeah, you're still part of the scheme and all this kind of stuff. And then... Um, I had to go back and show them that no, I'm definitely still part of a training scheme. I'm going to be here for a while. Um, you can't be pulling me off like that. Can you pay my money? And then I told them I got a mortgage and all that. And then they were really nice. They were really, really nice. They, they made a couple of phone calls within like a couple of hours. The money was in the bank. But, um, you know, I, I guess maybe I was lucky. But it sounds like um, Layla here had to had to argue her case. That's yeah, right. she had to push. Um, I mean, one thing I'm amazed is you guys managed to get through to payroll in the first place. You know, <laughs> where, where is payroll in the hospital? I've never, you know, they're in some magical place that you kind of can only contact between 11 and 12 o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon or something yeah. like that. You know, just, <laughs> that it's, um, it, it's, it certainly happened to me, even as a GP. Sometimes, sometimes you know, because 
especially so as GPs, I'm a self-employed GP. So what tends to happen is around January time, I've got to pay a huge um, tax. tax oh bill. yeah, love tax. Yeah. Absolutely. So so you know, if money doesn't come in on the right time, then you're stuck. Mm. So there's one once I had to take a loan out to pay my tax bill. Mm. And then when wow. when th- things came back and then I had to pay it back. Mm, that's so, nuts, isn't it? You know, that's just crazy that. to put yourself in. They put you in that position when actually you should not be in that position at all. I mean, that's, that's on them. Are they going to pay the tax fine? Are they going to do that for you now? Because of what yeah, they did? I mean, it doesn't make any it's sense. Bonkers, isn't it? And yeah. it's funny though, isn't it? Have you ever had it where they've overpaid you? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah they like, start like, chasing. Your door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's back. It's back. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah. That happened to me as well. That did happen to me. Sorry, mate. Um, the money's already gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, that's crazy. I mean, I. Um, I mean, we were talking about. Um, you know, I think you through she were talking about that meme about you know. Uh, you know um, your lifestyle versus a consultant lifestyle and stuff and it did uh, make me think of another tweet from someone called uh, Sabrina Saeed which touched me a bit because um, it says I officially withdrew from medical school I can't keep sacrificing for such an abusive field caring for my mom uh, through her cancer journey put so much into perspective and I can't leave her to finish a degree I was already so burnt out while it's devastating to stop and it, it goes on and I just when I read that i I felt like I relate to that so much because, you know, it, I, you know, so I know you said, you know, um, I think you said something about how it can, you know, people will say something like, oh, you just quit, do something else. Yeah. But um, it's not always that easy because there was a point when I was training and I was probably about three or four years in. I think someone said to me, um, do you even want to do radiology? And I said to him, listen, the fact that I turn up to work every day. Is a reason it shows, should show you that I do want to do radiology. The fact that I keep seeing those exams and keep failing and keep coming back should tell you I want to do radiology. Mm. And they went, actually, Imran, um, the easier thing for you to do is to continue to do radiology because leaving right now after four years of being in is a harder thing yeah. to do. And I thought, you, yeah, you've got a point. It is. It, it is a very brave thing to do, having decided to leave whatever you're doing or haven't done for so many years. And so this person, you know, I can imagine they had dreams of becoming a doctor. The parents had dreams of them becoming a doctor and all that stuff. And then they've decided actually it's not the best thing for them. Uh, have we? Have you guys been in this situation or have met anyone who's been in similar situations to this? Well, yeah. So, I mean, quite com- So uh, Dave, David Warriner, he's a cardiology consultant um, and he tweeted about how it happens in cardiology. So mm. like um, within cardiology from ST3 to ST5, you do general cardiology. And then at that point, you um, apply, you now apply to kind of do your subspecialty. Mm. And um, before it was probably a case of just having kind of a few conversations here and there and people would say, I want to do intervention, I want to do pacing, blah. Mm. And so then people then train in their kind of subspecialty, usually in the tertiary centers, ST6, ST7. Um, And sometimes you get people coming quite far towards the end of their training. Sometimes they do looking for fellowships or maybe do an extra degree. So I had a colleague who did a research degree and then was coming towards the end of ST7. And then they turned around and said, actually, I don't think you should do intervention. And so this person had invested uh, a couple years for their research and then a, a couple more years for the subspecialty training, then to be told, oh, you can't do it. And I guess one of the issues is, well, should they should they have told that person earlier? But the, I, I don't think that's a great reason because like that can be really difficult. To, but I just kind of like wonder, why is it that we're telling people that they can't do stuff? Why can't you just train for longer? Like, why can they not be like, you train train an extra year just take as long as you like you know you know they're, they're always kind of pushing to have people in that kind of registrars to cover the rotor thing 
why, mm. why can't you train for longer like if you have that exam that you need to do okay take another year to do it like why is it that oh no time's up that's it like you're in or you're out like and then you're on the scrap heap no sorry like who made that rule up like why does that need to be a rule like yeah. you need to complete it within this period like it's so arbitrary like why is it that, that like you five years and you're perfectly cooked like it just seems yeah. ridiculous mm. to me it's it's um no, I agree with you. I mean, so I do ARCP panels and uh, um, general practice membership exam is quite unique in that. So for, you know, if you want to do cardiology, you, got, you do a MRCP first and then you apply for a post and same with surgery and lots of other specialties. Whereas MRCGP is an exit exam. So you mm-hmm. actually become a GPSD1 and then by the time you finish SD3, you've got to pass it. So you get four, four goes off for the, each exam. So it's a exam called RCA, which is the clinical bit. And then there's a um, written exam called AKT. And you only have four goes. If you fail it, and each go, each exam, uh, so it will cost you, the set will cost you about 1500 quid to do it. Mm. So, and if you don't pass it, you, and it will give you maybe a year and a half extension maximum on top of that. If you don't pass it, you're kicked out of the program. So it's, it's so, so I kind of listen to the stories of trainees who kind of have had that go, haven't had that support uh, yeah. in, in one way or the other, or they're just not right for the speciality and, and, and you're having to release them from the program. Um, so that actually drove me to kind of the, one of the jobs I'm doing at the moment, which is a um, program director for international medical graduate GP trainees in London. Mm-hmm. So differential attainment for GP exam is, is terrible. So if you got, if you're an international medical graduate, GP trainee, your chance of passing the exam is about half as much as a white female UK graduate. Mm, wow. uh, and that hasn't changed ever since the exams were started. So mm. we've known about it for a long time. And we, we, we all know, kind of, if, if you look at GP per se, um, a lot of the poorer rural area, rural areas, poor, poor areas, hard to recruit areas will have IMG GPs, GPs who qualified abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so true that a lot of East London used to be like that. It's different now. Uh, northeast, northwest areas, uh, rural areas, they're like that. It's, it's, so this kind of differential attainment has been there for a long time. And and a lot of these doctors I spoke to, they used to, you know, they used to want to be uh, a surgeon or or a medic. And because they came across stumbling blocks, they left that and they've gone uh, into general practice. On the flip side, I've had two trainees. One was close to finishing anesthetic number and the other one was uh, an A&E and they jumped into general practice. They've never been happier. So they, they were really close to finishing and they, they had the competition to finish it. So so I think definitely you need to be brave mm. um, and sometimes you might regret it, but it's, it's, if that's what you feel is the right thing, then just go for it. Life's too short to be doing something you don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, I I have alluded a, a few times during the podcast that things didn't go quite um, so well for me. And um, I remember when, uh, you know, doing some ARCPs, they were saying something like, oh, there's just not enough funding for you to carry on doing what you're doing. And I was mm. like, but, you know, we've got a shortage of radiologists. Like, if I'm willing to carry on, then let's carry on. Like, I, I'm paying for those exams. I'm paying to turn up. I'm, I'm still here. And you're getting work out of me at fairly mm. cheap, you know, get work out of me at a very cheap rate. Uh, I'm seeing I can actually do the job because it's a, it's a different situation. If the exam was 100% representative of what you are as a radiologist, and I keep I keep failing it then, then we've got a conversation. But if you if we all know that it's just a, a ticking, you know, best of five question thing, then how could you turn around and say, I'm not good enough at this job? It didn't make any yeah. sense. 
Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just find that, and like Theresa said, like if you're willing to carry on, just carry on. It's not as though we've got so uh, such an abundance of doctors in these subspecialties that you know we can just throw away people like that. But they do. Uh, I know yeah. they do, and they've done yeah. it. So it's crazy, um, isn't it? When you think about how much those exams cost, what, mm. do the, what do the, what does the money pay for? Paper. The actual paper, is physical it? paper. No, I'm is just saying. Like, <laughs> amazing. The like, gold leash. Just, ooh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah GP exam, you know, uh, 1,500 quid for the, the both components per oh, city. Yeah, thousands. What a racket. Yeah, I mean, this, this is um, the, yeah, so that's, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is if you, if you think about it, so, so the exams themselves, uh, prior to, modernizing medical careers which came in 2007 right what you could do is you do your house jobs then you could do a few years of SHO jobs while you're trying for your membership exam and often you might fail the membership exam loads of times and then you go for your number hmm. and then in 2007 these I was one of the victims of it so I was actually on track to becoming an acute medic so you, I might have been working in hospital and talking about all these HR issues and payroll issues <laughs> rather than sitting in the GP land and and that's when I kind of saw the light and moved in 2007 hmm. uh, it's because things were getting tougher so you had to choose a specialty hmm. there was there was no kind of you could do a few jobs every six months or even uh, every year or so because uh, I did a year of a &E, I did two years of uh, medical rotation because I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do hmm. and now you know you, you have to box people much earlier on um, so once it, and and then once they enter a program, is if you fail the exam, you could be easily released. Mm. So that's that's, God, that's tough. It's strange, yeah. isn't it? Like I literally had one goal when I finished. I don't want to yeah. do this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. I, I remember yeah. the first ward rounds. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I literally walked around trying to find that who's not who's not doing ward rounds. Who is it? There must be someone around here. And I just kind of stumbled across as many people as I could and multiple conversations later and uh, yeah i'm thankful that um you know like you say i think you said silver that there you know there is a point where you end up finding uh, something that just kind of works works for you yeah uh, you know i think it was the nights and stuff that you know when you're running around with the wards and you get tired and those nights of you know working so hard they were tough man i don't know how i, I genuinely i genuinely genuinely rate anyone uh, who can do that kind of thing because at least when you're doing radiology nights and you are physically there you bring a whole you bring a massive feast with you mate like you're sitting there in the microwave you've got a little room but you know there was a tweet that came up this week uh, i think it was neely wasn't it she yeah. tweeted about um food food overnight she was trying to start a campaign it got like a, it got a lot of attention didn't it so uh, Neely uh, Mozzarella, um, someone that we've interacted with uh, a few times, haven't we, um, on on Med Twitter? I think actually. So have you have you met Neely on a? I, I haven't thing? met Neely face to face, but we've had uh, we've spoken on the phone. Um, okay. So yes, yeah, so, so we know each other quite well. Yeah. So she yeah. she did um, she wanted to start a campaign to try and uh, which is I think is a very nice campaign to try and get um, hot food available for um, doctors working night shifts because we all you know it's not always available right and um, and that can be you know this is what we've joked about in the past like sometimes when I, I remember when I was on nights and I was exhausted and I found myself falling asleep on a sofa and kind of really uncomfortable and just kind of waking up thinking like. All the decisions I've made in my life has resulted in me sleeping on a sofa. Like, I don't know if I've made the right decisions in life. And I can just imagine feeling the same thing, that if you're running around tired, exhausted, and hungry, and you think to yourself, like, I'm running around tired and hungry, and there's nowhere to eat. There's no food to eat. Like, 
have I made the right decisions in life? Uh, it got a lot of traction. It but did. then some of it was quite negative, wasn't it? It was really negative. Like some of it was like, I mean, there was the stuff where people just a, fa- a complete failure of empathy or they were like, well, the, I used to make sandwiches. I made sandwiches or I meal prepped every day. And there's lots of kind of assumptions made with that, right? Like when you meal mm. prep, say if you're going to make five meals in a row, you need storage space for it. But then also like when you take it to work, you need something to heat it up potentially or even somewhere to store it there. Like there's preparation involved, right? And I guess if you're on public transport, you're going to take it in your bag. You know, like there's lots of things to like think about. Or some people don't even have a space to eat it in. And mm. that's part of what Neely was talking about. But the, the, the kind of responses were like, oh, doctors, oh my God, they want everything. They what 24 hour like everything it's just like oh okay um is yeah, that not too such much a welcome. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, there was so much negativity, but it yeah. maybe just another one that yeah. oh, well, doctors have got it good. So you know what? Like, why are you complaining? Well, the the thing was, I think you can kind of get those ones right because you kind mm. of you know you'll get those people everywhere. But there were mm. one or two consultants, wasn't there? There was like a geriatrician that came out and was like, "Well, you nobody's going to starve, are they? Nobody's going to hmm. starve." Like, hmm. okay, that's that's the bar. You're not going to starve. That's what you should tell. When was the last time he did a night shift? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. This I, I I got a lot of sympathy for that. I, I still do night shifts in out of us as a GP in the hospital, and 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 it's it's with all the best of intentions um you, you know yeah you, you want to you know if, if you're really prepared uh, like some of these judgmental people are you might want to make your three meals a day put it in the fridge for the week ahead and 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 have a meal plan and all that kind of stuff but a lot of us are busy and we, we just we i wake up about half an hour before i'm get supposed to get to the shift and then just <laughs> <laughs> have a shower and get get ready because you're trying to catch up on sleep you know sleep yeah. is more important to me than than actually trying to kind of plan my meals for the next seven days uh, mm. so, so, so sometimes you just do these things you just turn up or poorly prepared so you would want something something decent to be there why not is that too much to ask um, it's, it's uh, I'm sure there are technological solutions if, if uh, Google Facebook and uh, they, they can all provide free meals for the employees 24 hours a day uh, it's and it's just one of the largest employees in the world can't manage that it's, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, that's yeah. because they don't have to compete with anyone. I mean, once yeah. you work in a hospital, then you're not exactly going to say, well, you know what, forget this, I'm going to move to... I mean, even, even as a consultant, you know, you are. it is possible for you to move hospital, but it's very rare that it, uh, a yeah. consultant moves. Like something's happened if a consultant needs to move, right? And yeah. I think that's part of the problem because yeah. if you're not in a situation where you're you're trying to fight for talent, trying to make talent happy, then there's no reason for you to provide anything. Like, yeah, what are you going to do about it, right? Like, absolutely. You don't take it's going to be real. Mm. It's going to be a real appetite for it, doesn't it? I mean, it, it came as a shock to me that some consultants don't even have offices and they have to share the office with other people. Uh, I was under the impression when you go consultant, you, you get a nice partner's desk with a, you know, with a nice view outside. Absolutely, and put massage in exactly. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not in radiology. You don't you? you don't, have, <laughs> don't have windows, mate. Don't have windows. Um, but everything else is true. Everything else is definitely <laughs> definitely true. <laughs> but there was a time uh, when you would have subsidised meals. You'll have a you know a bed to sleep on that gets changed every day when you're doing on call shift. Um, as a house officer, I had free accommodation for the first year in the hospital, um, so that that was really handy. And then you know I remember paying about one pound fifty for a fish and chips in the canteen, so subsidised. So Smashed so you, it. nice. it's, it's it's not as if these things can't happen. And now yeah. everything's outsourced from yeah, parking 
Acton Parking to to the canteen to everything else. So there's a mm. profit in for other people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now all the juniors have to look forward to our emails like this. Dear hospitals, <laughs> well, it was the one that says, can you, uh, so the hospitals on black alert, can you please prioritise discharges and uh, make sure that you review every patient with a view to sending them home? Oh, like, we've never even thought of that. Like, before that, we were just like, uh, just walking around, just be like, oh yeah, just chilling. Like, just Someone's reminding you what you're meant to be doing. Uh, yeah, you God, know. that's my job. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we get these emails. Please do not send to any. Uh, Annie's too busy. <laughs> All right, okay, fine. I'll, I'll manage the burr hole in the surgery. Um, I'll, I'll just get my HCS <laughs> to decker. give me a hand. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It literally so, is one of those situations you're sitting there and just someone's pointing out the obvious. You know, hospitals and CCGs have a comms person just sitting there thinking about what email to write and this is one of the things yeah. that they you know they must have it in their kind of favorite yeah, yeah. <laughs> every winter i'm just going to send it out to the gps and the consultants yeah, yeah. Then, and, yeah. and they click send that right lads okay that's a job well done let's go to the <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So. i mean sometimes i do I, you know i remember when you know a and e was getting completely you know shafted maybe was it last year and you know the public there was a lot of things saying you know only turn up to a and e in an accident and emergency and I thought, well, hang on, isn't that what, that's what that's it says on the front. Yeah. That's literally what it says on the front. Now, why are we even, you know, that should just Absolutely. be always the case. You should yeah. only turn up to a in an yeah. accident, an emergency. Um, don't turn up otherwise. Go see your GP if you can get an appointment. But, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but to, be, to be fair to the public, I wouldn't blame them because um, there's a time when, you, when we used to call A&E casualty and then we mm. changed it to A&E and now oh. it's emergency department. Um, they might change it to something else. I mean, they keep changing the, the they're rebranding every time. Yeah, uh, yeah, that so, is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Admission lounge. Yeah, mm. admissions lounge. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was, I mean, that kind of bring. I mean, talking about you know uh, branding of emergency medicine, and that there was. Um, uh, someone tweeted about a, a conference that was going to happen uh, very soon. Yeah. So I'm going to read it out. Uh, Luella Vaughan. Uh, Vaughan? Yeah, Vaughan. Vaughan. Um, a public uh, policy exchange advertising conference on NHS emergency care. Is there an emergency doctor? No. Instead, two doctors who currently don't work in the NHS. And so instead, so basically they're running an event about emergency, uh, uh, the emergency, emergency doctors, but they don't actually have an emergency doctor on the panel. <sighs> I mean, yeah. I mean, they do have, to be fair, I mean, they've prioritised it, haven't they? So they've gone yeah. for some big hitters. Like, so they, they had Jeeves there, who's obviously going to be banter, you know, like mm, he's yeah. a fun, like an interesting chap. And then Don Pimenta, he's the guy who, uh, like, didn't he give up his training number on TV? And oh, he... no, that was someone else. That was someone else. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sure, I, I feel, I'm pretty oh, sure really? he quit okay. as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think he might he, be him, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. he, he, but he's he's an interesting chap. He like wrote for The Guardian. And I remember he wrote like a really interesting Twitter thread on like when a cat got stuck in his car. So there's that. So maybe they were kind of doing it more based on like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll go for people that, you know, people really want to see because the other person's Julia Patterson, who's the founder and chief executive of Every Doctor. And we know that that gets bombs on seats, doesn't it, or something? Mm, yeah. Especially from Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This many doctors, yeah. It all depends on what the, what they're trying to get out of. Are they really trying to have a serious discussion about the topic, or is it about kind of raising awareness of wider issues? Um, so. That, I'm thinking they probably went for the latter. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. they're charging for tickets, weren't they? It's like £55 a ticket. Wow, £55 for a ticket? Yeah, wow, rolling so. in it, man. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Grift. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, each to their own hustle, I suppose. You yeah, know, yeah, no, yeah. Never want to uh, look down on it. Yeah, you carry on. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's going to make. I mean, just that lineup's going to make people a few a bit unhappy. But there, I think there's one thing I, I really want to talk about before we do finish, and it was a Conservative MP Nick Fletcher, um, and he wasn't particularly happy about a lineup, but a very different kind of lineup okay. uh, in terms of uh, Doctor Who being played by a woman. Yeah, uh, Ghostbusters yeah. becoming a female a female outfit. Uh, I can't remember what else he said, but he was just very unhappy because he feels as though um, by giving prominent roles uh, to females, it's starting to push men into crime. Please, can I have a shred of oppression? Please. <laughs> like, I can imagine what like a fragile ego this person must have. But like, I guess this is like supposed to be a backlash against kind of diversity, isn't it? Like, this happens every year, especially with Christmas adverts, where they show slightly different. You know, they might show a kind of varied family, and people are like, oh, it's an agenda. It's an agenda. Mm. And I'm like. What is the agenda? Like, what they're they're trying to push an agenda, but I'm like, what is the agenda? I don't, I don't get what it is. What there's more people who look different to you. That's an agenda, Mm. is it? Or like suddenly, because you've seen it on TV, there's like a subliminal message, and then next thing you know, I don't know (laughs) what happens next. Like suddenly, you you turn into an ethnic minority. Like what's supposed to happen? Like that if you see it in an advert, what is the thing? Is like, I mean, the the people like this obviously walk around, you know, doing having their normal life, seeing people like myself, yourself, black people, Asian people. And then, but they're happy for you guys. Well, not they may not be, but you know, you're around. But then when it comes to TV and entertainment and all these kind of things, all of a sudden they don't want you around. Yeah. You know, is that, they don't want it's, you there. It's exhausting, isn't it? Because they're like integrate, mm. they like assimilate. Mm. And that means, doesn't that mean get in and above it? But then when you're there, they're like, oh no, don't, not like that. Like we yeah, want you to do it. Not that much. Don't, don't, don't integrate that you. much. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what are you doing? Like, yeah. And they're like, oh, but you know, you can't go to certain areas because it's just full of them. It's like, well, mate, like you don't want to see them. so. You know, hmm. which one do you want? I don't get it. Yeah, it's yeah. confusing. But then, you know, I have to admit that, I, especially when I was younger, I used to, you know, if there was a brown person on TV, I'd be like, oh, it's a brown person yeah. on TV. And it took me, it even took me, you know, actually, I'll tell you something. I, I, I think we've spoken about this, but um, when I had my son, I did want to call him Nassim, as in because of Prince Nassim Hamid, right? Yeah. And that's pretty embarrassing. But I, I, for me, I know I know that there's a whole lot of things people might not like him, etc. But when I was younger, I saw Prince Nassim and I, on TV and I thought, who is this guy? He's like, a, he looks like me. He, he's got a name like Nassim Hamid. That's, that's like a, a Muslim guy. And then I watched him fight and he was beating people up and he was killing it and he was confident and he was in people's faces. And I thought... This guy's super cool, man. Like, this is amazing. I've never seen, like, uh, anyone who could really look like me be like that. So, and so for me, uh, still, I, I have fond memories of him, of his his entire career and occasionally watch highlight videos of it. And I, I did want to call my son Prince Nassim. Uh, not, I, actually, I wouldn't mind calling him Prince Nassim, but I did want to call him Nassim, but it got vetoed very heavily, especially <laughs> when I told, <laughs> especially when I told everyone why. Um, yeah. And I do sometimes bicker about it. But it just makes you... Yeah, it just makes you realise that. But I was coming from a place where I didn't see anyone like me on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Do you remember? Goodness gracious me! So that 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 kind of came Smashed when, it. Yeah. When, when when I was in school. Then that was you know you could just seeing these Asians kind of uh, and, and talking about the things that you would talk at home. That the funny thing about I still remember in our house we had a sofa with the the plastic still around. Yeah. I felt like they got us, you know. It's, mm. it's, it was so um, genuine, but funny at the same time. And and you want us to integrate, as as you know, Theresa was saying. Um, but 
you don't want to integrate too much. Uh, it's this whole good immigrant concept. So you know you got to be a. So if you got, if you're going to be a, so you need to be able to contribute. So you need to prove your worth. You know, I'm often having to say, well, I do this, I do that, uh, so that so we can mm. prove our worth to this country. And so it's, and especially harder as a visible minority because, uh, so so I my my wife Sri Lankan, she's half Sinhalese, and and my. my kids are going to be a visible minority uh, whereas if if you were some say from eastern europe uh within a couple of generations um you 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 will kind of look like the rest of the uh, most of the british population the white british population so it's, you may not face racism as much as visible minorities so, so i think it's, it's it's very very important britain is changing for, for for the better i think uh but there is also kind of this fear amongst some white people that you know what's happening to our country it's funny is there isn't it because if you think about like the default position like if you look throughout hollywood and the number of just kind of identikit kind of like uh, leading men that there are like i was i'm watching hawkeye and i was watching like i was looking at jeremy renner who's just mm. like such an average perhaps below average looking dude and i was yeah. like wow like he's got a yeah. role in this he's yeah. like a titular role of this like big marvel show he's the hero of that show yeah. kind of i mean there's hayley stonefield as well obviously but but and i was like if that was if that role was given to a brown like that brown dude would have to be like top of their game like uh, <laughs> you know like Lu, like from um, from Shang-Chi or like a Kamel Nanjani who, who like got like absolutely stacked for the Eternals like right. they have to be whereas this kind of like mediocre white dude it's like and they're the <laughs> default position um, and so like when they see these these people who kind of like see something slightly different and they're like wow like this is great like mate literally 99% of the stuff out there is for you. Like all yeah. of it is for you, mm. and even if you look at like a lot of like Bollywood and whatever, the actors and actresses there—they all wh- they all whiten their skin, <laughs> like yeah. you know, or this kind of aspiration Absolutely. to whiteness. So like the the ideal is like given a, like so. Is it so bad that like maybe that like a couple of like John Lewis or little adverts like have like you know a person of color? Is it that terrible? Like, are you mm. really going to turn to cry? like are you that fragile that it will turn to cry? I, I think yeah, the the the. the pr- uh, is 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 um when there's only one or two of you on a, in a visible media, you're kind of exotic. You're kind of bringing yeah. that, you know, you, you kind of play that typical roles of uh, um, the, the kind of the uh, the Asian terrorist or, or the <laughs> yeah. Middle Eastern terrorist, or oh. you play the taxi driver. Right. Don't and, get and, me started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're a terrorist, so, yeah. taxi driver, yeah. or you're yeah. some guy who's hapless with women. That's absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and then um and then and then you kind of move more mainstream and then people start thinking what's happening to our culture it's being mm. taken over by these people who look although riz ahmed riz ahmed yeah i was about to say riz ahmed's really um if and, and then, i mean the fact that we even notice him yeah the fact that we notice deb patel and riz ahmed who are playing roles that you know we don't normally associate with what mm. they're doing you know what i mean like they're playing big big roles um, that you know aren't necessarily dictated by the color of their skin, you know, and that's um, that's it's nice. That, I mean, things yeah. are, I think I think things are moving, hopefully in a good direction to the point Absolutely. that it's not it's not it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. I don't want to call my son Riz Ahmed because he's that special anymore. Because yeah. I've seen more brown people we're, we're in we're in other places now, which is nice, right? Yeah, but then obviously you're going to get some people like that. When yeah. I was uh, when I was little, there was a show on B- uh, the children's BBC which was set in Sri Lanka. Did you watch that? Do you remember that? There was a, no, there was, no, there was a, yeah. there was a show, and like it was on BBC. So I'd get home from school, yeah. and even though yeah. it was ter- it was terrible, it was really depressing. Yeah. Like it was about these like kids, and like their parents were like drunks, and so they'd run yeah. the street, and it was really really sad and depressing. And I just wanted to watch something on ITV. Like I wanted to watch something with like superheroes, but my mom was like, "No, no, it's about Sri Lanka." And then yeah. I remember like once <laughs> Philip Schofield was like. 
Philip Schofield, who was on BBC, like the children's BBC back in the days, he was like, that was really boring. And my mum was so angry. And to this day, mate, that was like 30 years ago. And my mum's like, Philip Schofield. <laughs> she hates him. Oh, no. I thought it was going to say, uh, you were going to say, it was, it was like that Popperdom song by the, you know, the Wiggles. You know, the oh, ones where they yeah. <laughs> Popperdom, Popperdom, Popperdom. That's a hate crime. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a crime. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's um, you start to say you know when I, when I heard Nihal on the on on, on the oh, radio yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the, and then and then you hear you know Bromesh Rangnath mm. on TV mock the week you know yeah, you, so you kind cool, of man. yeah the, the, the legend so you, you you kind of get um, recognition you feel like you're being represented and mm. that's, that's so important because it, oh, this is our home like you know I, yes I wasn't born here but I'm, I'm here now I've been here for thirty years and. I'm not planning to leave anywhere, so I want to contribute. And and uh, if you're going to accept me for all the good things I do, you also need to kind of represent parts of who I am as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, it, yeah, it's um, it is interesting that people can have such a big, uh, big of a ne- bigger negative opinion towards uh, towards you know was turning up on their TV screens. And I mean, I don't know, I just, do you remember that Father Ted um, thing where I think uh, Father Jack, when he got angry, he just throws something at the TV and he just smashed the TV up every time. So I, was, I do wonder whether some of these guys are just sitting there and that John Lewis advert comes up and just throws something at the TV. Like, nope, not having that, not coming up Absolutely. on my screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny you should mention it. I think the guy who's, who the creator of Father Ted, he's been banned from Twitter after, he, because he's tra- he's a transphobe. So even... Oh. I know. Oh, even that. Why did you tell me this? It's like Sorry. this feels like you know. I remember I was sitting in the in the red room once, and I was having some rice pudding, and my mate goes, "Bro, you know you can't eat that." I was like, "Why?" And he goes, it, "There's there's like gelatin." I was like, "You know why can't you tell me that <laughs> after I finished it? Why can't you do that? Why can't you do me a favor and just tell me afterwards?" So I had to put it away, and then I, then then I think I took these jelly sweets against Anna, and I was like, oh, c- "Come on!" <laughs> I'll just take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So but there was something that you did want to talk about, didn't you? I mean, uh, something you know, it's been going on for weeks. We've talked about it for weeks, but I guess uh, we're not GPs. You know, yeah. there's only so much we really know. I mean, look, you lot are just chilling, aren't you? Come on, mate. I mean, you guys aren't doing all that. Absolutely. Much. I mean, that, that, that's, that's that's why. Um, that's why I, that's why I managed to come on the you know if, if I was working yeah. hard why would I be on this podcast you know? <laughs> <laughs> all that free time yeah yeah come on start seeing people face to face come on yeah, um, yeah what's going I mean, on it's, it's, absolutely it's, 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 I think the jokes were in a bit thin actually kind of this this face to face so um, so th- there was a time uh, when in the, back in the sixties and seventies when GPs <laughs> would go and visit kids at home for a cough and a cold so home visits mm. and the people are still kind of going on about that saying. There were, you know, I remember the time when my local doctor came and visited me at home. And and then we kind of moved on from that. That took a while for people to accept that actually it's, it's, it's a pretty useless uh, way of managing someone. Uh, mm. You know, you don't, you don't actually need anything. All you need is paracetamol and just stay at home until uh, mm. you get better. And then, and now we're going through that kind of revolution since since the pandemic. We've kind of moved more towards using technology, triage first systems. Everyone's using that, so things are changing, um, mm. and 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 patients and medicine and NHS is changing with that. Uh, but some some people, because of kind of systemic issues with underfunding, under resources, and not enough GPs, are kind of trying to misdirect some of the public. I think, and then and sadly, a lot of people have bought that hook, line, and sinker. Well, what's that, the goal? You know, why are they doing this? What, what do they want? Why are they trying to make you guys look bad? Why are they trying to make G- GPs look bad? So it's a kind of it's, it's a GPs are um, 
so we, we're 50% of us are partners and we are independent contractors to the NHS so we're not directly employed by the NHS so if if NHS England for example come up with something that we don't think is beneficial for the patients or the profession the speciality we can say no we're not doing it uh, mm. come up with a better plan so for example we had the LMC conference today the LMC is local medical committees they represent GPs a conference today um, conference all the attendees 100% of them voted to uh, have advice and guidance not be mandated so the NHS England wants to mandate advice and guidance as a way for referrals so mm. uh, for, for most specialities I think they've identified 13 specialities that they want to do advice and guidance only and mm. then the consultants will decide what to do with that um, so GPs have said no that's not happening you can't mandate this because um, th- there's lots of you need to have flexibility and you have, need to have patient choice the technology doesn't work who's going to hold the risk when I send a referral uh, and you don't you know you just send an advice back so there's lots of issues like that so so we still have that autonomy whereas um, as, as a hospital doctors you know you, you, as a consultant you're employed by the trust so the managers tend to have much more power over your working environment uh, compared to what happens in general practice. So so I think they're trying to break that part. One of the things is one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. The other, other reason I think is because if you look at what's happening to NHS dentistry, so it's pretty much been part privatized. Uh, mm-hmm. So general practice is being broken up uh, from its traditional model of some of small GP partnerships into large corporates. So you, you already have large corporates running general practice and that's actually getting more and more. So there's a kind of a two-pronged approach. One is making us into much larger organizations, making more of a salaried. Uh, the other thing is trying to break that monopoly, they might say, or the kind of the, the power we have over NHS England in some ways. Hmm. So um, uh, so that's a real problem for government. Uh, government, despite what it says, it's, it's, a, it's a Tory government that doesn't like, it's, it's a libertarian Tory government, but they actually like centralized command and control. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a strange concept. So that, I think that's what's happening at the moment. It's, it's, it's very sad because the patients are losing out. We're not actually talking about all the long waits for general practice, for A&Es, uh, calling an ambulance and everything else. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, and it's been distracted by face-to-face conversation. Mm. Yeah, it just seems to be really fixated on this one thing and they're just blown up and it just keeps going yeah. like week in and week out. Yeah. And then they'll just trotting out some someone who's got nothing to do with anything, some old school person that's never been there, done it, lived it. And they'll just come out with like, oh, GP's just being lazy. They need to get off the golf courses and all this stuff. All right, yeah. you know. It's absolutely. Like I mean, yeah, mm. you know, the, some of these retired GPs and consultants with the GMC numbers starting at minus, absolutely, you know, so, so, so <laughs> they, 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 they come up, they come up uh, and say some random things in my days. Uh, mm. And then um, we did it like that, we did it like that. And then people just jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, yeah, yeah, um, GPs aren't working hard. Um part-time GPs oh, the other thing yeah part-time GPs and women that's mm. the other thing mm. uh, yeah yeah they're the two two bugbears of theirs isn't it yeah. absolutely. One, of the, one of the tropes that really irritates me but I've been hearing it for a long time is when they go oh yeah I can't see the same doctor each time how do you do you get that and like how do you respond to it because it really like I'm like well they don't just spend all their time just sat in that same chair like they're they're allowed <laughs> to like get up and go they have families to see and you know like it's, it's funny you say that uh, because uh, some of my patients get really upset if I go on holiday without telling them <laughs> somewhere <laughs> regular <laughs> somewhere <laughs> regular <laughs> so what do you do do you add them on Facebook and then say, yeah, oh. absolutely yeah you know because 
they kind of book an appointment with me once a month uh, mm. or kind of every two to three months. So, so if I'm not suddenly there, they get really upset. So <laughs> it's um, continuity of care is one of the cornerstones of general practice, the foundation of general practice, you know, knowing your patient well, seeing the same patient. And, and it really, really helps. There's lots of evidence that it actually helps improve care, helps improve um, kind of uh, reduce risks uh, and so on. Uh, but it's very difficult because government's focusing on access. So, you know, my surgery is open eight to eight, seven days a week. So I can't be there eight to eight, seven days a week. It's, it's, it's impossible. So, so you, you want you want good access. You want the same GP. That's going to be hard. This mm. is kind of the triangle of good, cheap, and fast, mm. right? So you can only do two out of the three. You can't do all three. So if, you know, mm. if, if you if you want a good and fast service, that's not going to be cheap. Mm. Yeah, if, yeah. If, you, if you if you want a you know a, a cheap service, that's not going to be good. Mm. So so so, so I, I think we need to have a realistic conversation about how we fund and and kind of run the health service. That's that's yeah. the yeah whatever it's whatever it's going to become. Uh, who knows? Anyway, uh, Silva, I think um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you. We've taken yeah. quite a fair bit of your time, made you work. I mean, we jokingly said that you don't work all that much, but I mean, you're working all day today, all the yeah, way exactly. to what, eight o'clock in the evening. And we've yeah, thank you so much for taking us in. It's been a long time coming. Thanks, guys. Uh, and, uh, it's a pleasure to be you know, a long time listener, and and and. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a privilege, and yeah. uh, it's, it's been a good experience. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think Silva, you've been um, listening from quite early on, if I remember correctly. You're tweeting yeah. at us with pretty much like episode two or three. I mean, yeah, it's, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been a real um, pleasure having you uh, be part of our journey and watching this go, and be also be part of an episode. Um, so I guess um, with that, I just say you know to everyone, um, thank you for listening every single week. Um, and you know, you someone did give us feedback and gave us a rating on the uh, whatever they were listening. I think this is an Apple one. We do find this useful we do take the feedback on um you know we're just two bozos having a conversation but it means not a lot to us that anyone takes us seriously and maybe we are making a small difference out there yeah, talking about so. some of the things we do bring some on some of the guests that we have it's nice it really is a really nice thing that um we're seeing that we're managing to pull together so as usual uh twitter um be fun uh be nice to each other and let's not get cancelled all right bye bye and you've been listening to two medics and one mic with Imran Lasker and Tarusha Gwadna, thank you for listening.